Tonight's AEW Rampage up live against Friday Night SmackDown, at least for a half hour. Was this show good enough to beat Friday Night SmackDown even in one demo? One demo, that's all it's going to take, and Tony Khan will be unsufferable for the next year. Honestly, I don't know if if it will beat SmackDown in the ratings. I highly doubt it, right? But in saying that, uh, and I showed you this just before off the air, but did you notice how Rampage is trending number one over SmackDown? So maybe, just maybe, we might get it. But who knows? I, I highly doubt it, though. I'm not getting my hopes up. Put it that way. Chris, you, I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe women 84 to 99, AEW can win the demographic. Will that be enough for Tony Khan to run his mouth insufferably for the next year? I mean, I think even if they lose, Tony Khan is likely to run his mouth <laughs> insufferably for the next year. Um, so I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a very good shot with that, uh, with that, you know, 70 to 99 year old lady demographic, especially <laughs> considering that they had like a, what, like 85 year old on the, on the, uh, on the pre-show tonight. Is that? Is that right? Oh, see, no, is that how old that guy is? That's not a Japanese even guy. Right. You better be looking under your Canadian bed tonight for Minoru Suzuki <laughs> because he's going to come and he is going to murder you. The true boogeyman that is professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AEW Rampage Uncaged, presented by the Hameen Media Group, soon to be at channelattitude.com. I am Mr. J, Dr. Jargo. I will be your host. That is the COVID from the PWC. He's the G-A-G. He's my man, Jimmy T. Holy cow, man. Your intro keeps getting longer and longer every week. <laughs> well, well, I've got the ick, like you boys like to call it. So, um, and man, it's been what? Nearly two weeks and I'm still recovering, bro. It is brutal, but I feel so much better compared to last week. Last week was the start of the ick, but now I'm cool, man. I hope. <laughs> of course, last week, also the start of Rampage Uncaged here at the Hameen Media Group. And of course, you know, Jimmy has to catch COVID just in time. But that's why we got the other man in the booth. He's that other Canadian guy, Katsuri Shimbushi. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Chris Ams. Chris, welcome back to your show, my friend. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Yeah, it's me. It's uh, it's Christopher Ams. That's A-M-B-S, like lambs with Noel or bullshit first thing in the morning. Um, remember it. And if you don't, I'll just keep repeating it on the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I chose a completely random Japanese sounding name because that's basically what I get out of AEW lately. So tremendous, yeah, tremendous. Taking shots at Minoru Suzuki and talking smack about AEW fans. Jargo must be hosting a show at the Hameen Media Group. That's how this is going to go. <laughs> Um, so, guys, tonight we're we're going live against SmackDown, right? Like, that was the mission statement for tonight. And I, I'm a little bit perplexed at the card that we put out because, you know, we, we do this buy-in. They announce the big buy-in before the show starts. And the first thing that they open with is Tanera Conti versus Santana Garrett. Now, I... I even for the most diehard of diehard AEW fans, I'm not sure that Tane Nariconti versus Santana Garrett is going to be getting people to tune in to the buy-in. Chris, what did you think of opening with this match? And shout out to our boy Pierce Austin in the chat. Yeah, I think it was a bad idea. I mean, generally, I think that, uh, you know, you you needed to do something to bring people in who were curious and just tuning in going, hey, I wonder if they're going to do anything fun on this buy-in show. Like, maybe it'll be really neat. And um, it just didn't. Uh, it came across as just kind of lazy booking. Like, oh, do we have that's like that's like uh that's that's female that we can throw out there and uh oh yeah we got these two chicks they they'll they'll go do something um the match was uninspired there was no real story going on in the ring i yeah i thought what you thought i, I was perplexed why do this jimmy t chris brings up an interesting point 
was this a shot at WWE? Like, we're going to send two of our mid-card women out there and have them wrestle as much as you did the entire first round of the of the Queen's Crown tournament? I mean, because this match felt like it kind of went on and on and on. Well, if it was designed to say that the, the Queen of the Ring tournament sucks, then, yeah, they went for the right match. But, uh, nah, come on. I mean, this match, I mean, what can you say about it? It was all right, but it was nothing special. Both of these women seem to need to, to, you know, to do a lot more work in the ring, in my opinion. I said before off the air that Santana Garrett is a little overrated. I think she is. I mean, a lot of people hype her up. I don't think she's anything special. To me, she still looks kind of green. Is she full-time? Is she actually signed to an AEW contract, or do they just bring her in for one-offs? Because I, I only see her on occasion. I'm not sure if she's even listed on the women's roster. I thought she signed personally. So oh, did she? Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong too, but I'm pretty sure she signed. And I remember because I remember hearing about it a few weeks back. And shout outs to Pierce Austin, who's a fellow Aussie, by the way. So Oh my God, the there. Aussies are taking over. <laughs> He's got a great show too, by the way. But um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Santana and Ty Conti, eh, it was all right. It was good to watch, if you get my drift. Other than that. Nothing special or nothing to write home about. They pivot out of that and go into a video package. And this wouldn't bother me. Pierce Austin says she's not officially signed. Um, she's not. Okay. This one threw me for a little bit of a loop, too, because I, I understand running a video package for what is going to be the main event of Rampage. But this video package was actually released online earlier today as part of the Road to Miami thing. So I just, I didn't need to see it again. And here you are, you know, you're 20 minutes into the show by the time this thing ends. And we, we haven't really had anything going on the show that's going to make me tune into it. Then we go to Lee Moriarty versus Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish now been in the company for almost a week. Um, and, and he's in a signature spot here. I just, I, I question the logic of this going up when you're trying to pull any kind of viewers from SmackDown. I just, I, I think this was just a really, really bad decision. Chris, you look like you're about ready to fall asleep during this. Oh, this was awful. I mean, I mean, yes. Like, first of all, the, the booking decision of, okay, we're going up against SmackDown. So let's have somebody who couldn't even get to the main roster, uh, go over a, I mean, what is, what is Moriarty's gimmick? He's a cat man. Is that what he is? He's he's a cat guy. He literally came out with a cat mask, and his his entrance music was cats meowing and stuff. Like what? What the fuck? I swear, who that, is this for? That was a Stardom Queen's Quest mask that had been bleached <laughs> to look like a Michael Myers mask. That is my. I'm standing by that. It's kind of like the William Shatner head, you know, being bleached out to become the Michael Myers mask. Lee Moriarty is the only male member of Queen's Quest, as far as I am aware. <laughs> meow, anybody? Meow. <laughs> meow, meow. <laughs> well, well, look, what, what was he, man? Because to me, I, I hate to say this, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just putting it out there, right? Did, did he come across like a gay cat? sort of baseball wannabe player i mean i don't know I, I i don't understand why this match was on the show like the, this seems like mid card on dark to me if that you know what i mean like it just <laughs> no, you know what definitely. i i just i just figured it out jargo i i just figured it out i just figured out exactly why this match was on and why it was such a big deal and i can't believe that we missed it after you know after all these years eons and decades we finally had to have a place for the fish to defeat the cat. Finally. That was the story of the match. That was it. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I, I, why that didn't occur to me. Yeah. I, the Historic. only, the only speculation that I could possibly have about this buy-in, right. Is we're trying to take as many viewers, even because I think it peaked around 73, 74,000. Is that what I saw? So, so, I'm guessing for like 20 yeah. minutes, we're not really going to do anything. We're going to have some action going on just so you can tell your friends, hey, Brian Danielson is going to fight Minoru Suzuki in a little bit on YouTube. 
everybody tune in to see that. Like it, like we're tr- trying to give people that 20 minute buffer zone to get people aware that this is actually happening. I thought this was the best match of the night. I thought this was a G1 climax match. I felt like you could have seen this inside of Corican Hall. You could have saw it inside of Osaka Joe Hall. Like it wasn't finals. It wasn't ready for the Budokan. But Jimmy T, I love this match. This was everything New Japan Pro Wrestling is. This was strong style personified in the way this match was laid out. I thought it was fantastic, and I would love to see it again. Hell yeah, man. This was a brilliant match. I dare say possibly Rampage's best ever match. Right? I mean, this was that good. And I'm sorry, Chris. I know you don't understand the back force stuff, right? But, dude, if you just put all that shit aside for, for you, I'm saying this as a friend, you know, for you, I'm telling you, bro, you would have actually enjoyed it. It was a brilliant match. Seriously, I, I mean, I can't complain. I, f- I felt these two had great chemistry. It started off slow. It, it, it ended with a bang. I want to see more. I definitely want to see more, man. I was just hoping they weren't going to go for the dreaded time limit draw again. You know what I'm saying? Because that's pretty silly. And it was getting close. But thank God we didn't get that. But in saying that, do you think Suzuki losing again is a good thing, though? I, I think at this point, given Suzuki's age, everybody, like even Chris knows at this point that Minoru Suzuki is a legend, right? Whether he gets Minoru Suzuki or not. Just the way people talk about him, the way he presents himself, people know that he is a legend. Suzuki can go out, he can put anybody over, and he doesn't lose anything. Because Suzuki, at this point, is just, inside of the AEW universe, he's a sadistic bastard that you don't necessarily want to wrestle, even though you might win in the end. right? Like That's pretty much how Suzuki has been presented. Chris, I know you're not a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan. You don't watch Japanese Pro Wrestling. And even as this match was going on, me and Jimmy T were trying to explain to you why it was awesome. It seemed like you kind of came around a little bit, like halfway through or so when the match started to pick up. What did you think of Danielson versus Suzuki? Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to explain to the listeners, to the to the viewers, to anybody watching or listening exactly where I'm coming from when I say what I say here. So I am a big wrestling nerd, right? I mean, I do a podcast on wrestling. Obviously, I'm a big wrestling nerd, right? I love professional wrestling. But the professional wrestling that I love is the professional wrestling that I love. I love Bret Hart. I love Chris Benoit. I know that's controversial to say. I I love Kurt Angle. I love wrestling that looks like wrestling, where it looks like two guys are trying to win an athletic competition. Now, I boxed for over a decade competitively. And when, I, when I'm when i seeing people do a thing where they're going, okay, now it's my turn to hit you, and now it's your turn to hit me, and now it's my turn to hit you, and now it's your turn to hit me, and just like doing that. And like I can I can handle that for like a, like maybe one back and forth, maybe one, okay? You take a shot, I take a shot. Now we're going to get back to trying to win this athletic competition. But when they're doing it for like a solid three minutes in the middle of a match – my head just goes completely out of it where I just, I can't follow this stuff anymore. It's it's like, it's silly. Nobody's trying to win this match anymore. Now, as they got further away from that, you know, you can definitely see that, um, Suzuki is a talented professional wrestler. You can see how he transitions nicely. You can see how he can apply submissions really well. He's got, you know, he's got good, um, intensity, but, for me and the kind of wrestling that I like, this was just on the complete uh, like other end of it. And I didn't think that Punk's match later tonight was that good, but I thought it was significantly better than this match. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not. I'm just saying this is for me what I like. This was completely off the mark. Well, it's a good thing you're not saying you're right because you're wrong, Chris. You're wrong. <laughs> Jimmy T, tell this guy how good this freaking match was. Dude, uh, I hate to explain it, but when you were talking about the back and forth stuff, right, I was saying to you off the air, how uh, think of it as the modern day sort of test of strength, right? You know, when they used to do their, you know, Roman knuckle locks and shit and see who's stronger, blah, blah, blah. Well, think of it like that, Mm -hmm. man. That back and forth stuff is your test of strength in terms of Japanese wrestling. In saying that, 
I mean, what didn't you like about it, Chris? I mean, to me, this match had everything. It was hard hitting. They, they, they I mean, there was hold after hold. There were, I mean, seriously, what can you complain about when it comes to this match? Because I feel like you're the only one that's complaining online pretty much about it, which is not a bad thing. You're entitled to your opinion, obviously. But uh, I just don't understand, dude. Like, So I'm going to put this question back to Chris. What really was bothering you other than the back and forth stuff? Okay, so I'm going to start off with something a little controversial um, that's going to piss some people off. Uh, a few weeks ago here, um, we were reviewing that uh, that cage match between the Lucha Bros and, um, and the Young Bucks, right. right? And I ripped it to shreds because I thought it was an absolute garbage match. It was just a bunch of people doing really cool athletic-looking stuff, but in no way was anyone trying to win a wrestling match in that it was just, look how cool, look, I can do cool shit. Well, we can do cool shit. Well, my cool shit's cooler than you than your cool shit. And you said to me, yeah, but if you take all of that out, you know, what did you think of the match? And I said, well, if you take all that out, they made entrances and left. Um, so when you say you know, take out all the silliness out of this match. There's like 30 seconds of a wrestling match here. Okay. Now that's the controversial thing that I'm going to say. I, I just, I, I could not really get into this guys. I didn't like it. it. It did not grasp me. And you can say, well, I'm the only one online saying that I didn't like it. That may be true, Jimmy, but keep in mind that what I've been saying since we started with any of these podcasts is that I'm representing the 8 million or so people who left after WCW fell. After WCW crumbled, we, we went down to about 3 million. You know, we're now down to 2 million. We're now, and it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So, yes, to the niche audience, they really like this. And I get that you guys are like, you guys can even claim to be bigger wrestlers than me. That's okay. Right. But to me, what I like in professional wrestling and what I think works for the mainstream, this just wasn't it. I, I can't see this headlining uh, a Monday Nitro in the middle of the wars. I can't. I think there, inside of AEW, one of the strengths of AEW and one of the weaknesses of AEW is they are trying to serve so many different niche audiences. You have this match that was very much a Japanese strong style laid out match. When you go and you watch like any Okada match, any Tanahashi match in the main event of the Tokyo Dome, the format of the match is going to be very similar to this. It starts slow. You get a lot of exchanges in, inside of the ring because it's not just about beating your opponent. It's about breaking your opponent mentally and saying, I can take everything that you can give me and you can't take what I just gave you like there is that is absolutely an element inside of japanese professional wrestling it ramps up you get a lot of submission sequences until you get to the big finish i can understand that because i'm a japanese pro wrestling fan the western audience not indoctrinated into that you brought up the the lucha bros and the young bucks cage match very much a mexican style lucha tag where you can throw all psychology out the window and everything is basically a tornado tag when i watch triple a it drives me insane the lack of rules inside of a lucha match right but they throw all of this on tv trying to self-serve like the entire wrestling audience and i chris i think there are people like you that are just like i don't get it it doesn't make any sense because we are the western wrestling audience and we want to watch western professional wrestling yeah yeah, I think that's I think that that's exactly exactly the problem that I have with AEW. You know, as whenever we review AEW, like if there's a really good match that has good psychology, right? If everyone's selling properly, if it looks like a real competition, you know, I talked I talked up that uh, that match that uh, that Danielson and Omega had. I loved that match because it was a fantastic story. The entire time you're watching it, you're going, wow, these guys are really trying to win this wrestling match. And for a moment, right? And it's just a moment because we're all 
adults here, right? But for a moment, you're you're taken into the story and you're watching it as a real competition, right? And you're watching Batman fight Superman. And rather than thinking about all of the, oh, like, this, this, oh, this must have been a really expensive shot or blah, blah, blah. No, you just want to see Batman and Superman fight each other. Now, you know that Batman and Superman are not real and that they're not fighting each other. This is really a production, right? But as a fan, you can, you can get lost when things are believable enough or when the characters are true to themselves or when it really looks like what you're seeing is happening is happening, right? And to me, that's when professional wrestling is at its best, is when you're looking at it and you're going, no, I can see how someone in an actual competition would be doing exactly this. And, you know, to me, that's just sort of the disconnect with a lot of Japanese wrestling. I, I like, I don't mind starting slow, right, and working up. I actually think that that's the right way to do a professional wrestling match. I think that's the best story, right? You look at Bret Hart matches, he doesn't start off at 100 miles an hour. Everything starts slow, crisp, and they work their way up and they build to a crescendo. That's just storytelling 101. That doesn't – not even professional wrestling. Everything should be written that way. You start slow, you build to a crescendo, right? But, yeah, I don't – no, like some of this Japanese stuff, and it's not all of it because I've seen Japanese matches where it looks like two guys really trying to win, and they may have an exchange or two, right? But not three straight minutes of I hit you, you hit me, I hit you, you hit me over and over and over and over again for three straight minutes. Sometimes some of these Japanese matches can get a little more believable than that. And so as somebody who, like I said, I've always been into the storytelling of pro wrestling. I've always loved the physicality. And as someone who used to compete athletically, I need to see that in my wrestling. I need to, I need to be able to be fooled for a moment into just watch Batman and Superman and not think about it. Jimmy T, I do feel like one of the rips on Minoru Suzuki at this point is he doesn't win. Like, he doesn't win matches like hardly at all at this point. And it's, and it's, it's almost to the point where he is like, I know I don't have to win this match because it's not going to hurt me at all. Like you have to come out here and prove that you're better than me. Like that's, that's become the Suzuki thing at this point. Like, I didn't feel like at any point Minoru Suzuki was going to win this match. It was a matter of what was Brian going to have to do to actually beat the big bad monster. Oh, you're right. 100% right. And and that's cool. Right now it doesn't affect him. You're right. Though, if he's going to be the guy that, you know, you keep beating to step up to the next level or whatever, then I'm going to start having a problem with it because – He's a lot better than that. You know what I mean? Let's it's, it's give him credit here. You know, you know what I'm saying? The guy's a beast. He's an animal, sure. I feel like he's a special attraction at this point, right? Oh, definitely. Like, like definitely. He's, he's the undertaker, but he just loses all the matches, right? Instead of beating everybody, Minoru Suzuki just loses. It's just a matter of how much do you have to like inflict on Minoru Suzuki to actually beat him? Well, you know what I would do if I was Suzuki if we, if we keep going down this way with him losing? If if it's possible, bring in all of Suzuki Gun and just start laying out everybody in the ring, man, and just become this big bad heel faction in AEW for the time being. You know what I mean? I mean, these guys do cross over a lot. You brought that up. Okay. I heard something tonight. When they announced Brian Danielson, they announced him at 190-some pounds. <laughs> Jimmy T, they just announced Best of Super Juniors is coming. Can we get Danielson in best of suit? Like, screw the G1. I want to see Danielson in the best of super juniors. I want to see him versus Despy. I want to see him versus show. I want to see him versus Hiromu. I want to see him versus Bushi. Like I give me Brian Danielson in the best of super juniors. Like sign me the freaking hell up. Hell yeah, man. And you said that before, like off the air. I mean, if they announced him with that and they're hinting at possibly he could be entering the, the best of the super juniors. Hell yeah, man. Why not? I mean, would he, I hope he's down for it. But if he is down for it, him against, uh, oh, my God, man, I've gone blank now, against Hiromu, dude, imagine that for a final. Danielson <laughs> versus Takahashi, I think that's a big money match. Dude, I mean, absolute money match. The only thing is, if we do get that, if we do get Danielson in the event, 
then uh, yeah, everybody would be clamoring for that final, dude. You Chris, know what I'm saying? And that's the thing. Do you even know who Hiromu Takahashi is? I'm curious. Nope. Not a clue. You guys are talking right now, and I'm just looking at my name and laughing to myself because I'm <laughs> like, you guys might as well say that you want to see him what? You you want to see him fight Shinbushi for all I understand about what you're talking about. But hey, good for you guys. And uh yeah, I'm you know, I'm the thing is is like I don't have a thing against Japanese wrestling. I just I've never I've never really gotten into it. Danielson versus Bushi, I think, would be really good. I look forward to it. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, let, 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 let's bring Chris back into the conversation. <laughs> like CM Shin Bushi or just Bushi? I just, don't just regular Bushi. <laughs> just regular Bushi. Uh, CM Punk takes on Matt Seidel okay. to kick off Rampage proper going against SmackDown's half-hour overrun on FS1. Um, guys, this match goes 14 minutes. 14 minutes of Matt Seidel versus CM Punk. Um, and Jimmy T, I know you felt like CM Punk got a little exposed in this match. I did, man. I felt like uh, this match went 40 minutes too long for someone like a CM Punk against the Seidel. I mean, he looked wrecked, dude. He looked tired by the end of that match. He's starting to look his age. I think keep it down to a 10-minute match would have been fine. But I just felt like... He just looked – he was struggling to keep up with Seidel a little bit, man. It's, that's just me. I hate saying that because you'd think uh, he'd be up for it, you know what I mean? Because their age is not that much different, except one hasn't wrestled in how many years, and the other one is still wrestling full-time. So I just felt like he looked a little exposed tonight, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but am I wrong in saying that, Jago? Um, I, I, I don't know if Punk was necessarily exposed because at this point, Chris, I feel like – CM Punk's character is, it, I, I had this revelation as I was watching this, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. CM Punk is David Arquette, right? Oof. He is he is the guy who is coming back to professional wrestling to prove that he belongs here and that he always belonged here. Like, I feel like I'm watching David Arquette wrestling Matt Seidel, but it's CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. you know what? The, he did look tired. He looked very tired in this match. Um, he looked exhausted, in fact, which is exactly the story of this match. That's why Taz and um, what's the other guy who was on commentary? Uh, Starks. Taz and Starks were talking about how exhausted he was and how, oh, he just he looks so tired. He looks like he can't go anymore. He, he looks like maybe he lost a step. And keep in mind, it's only his fourth match back and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was the story of the match. So, I mean, to me, as I'm watching that match, I'm, I'm thinking, well, here's the story that they're telling. Punk is coming back after a long layoff. He's exhausted because he's, he's in a wrestling match with somebody who is fast very very fast and very athletic and is going to push him in terms of his gas tank so to me this was just a really well done wrestling match where the story played out so well that i mean jimmy you're saying oh he he looked tired he was supposed to that was the that was the story of the match i think right well i just want to quickly interject well in saying that that could be also their way of covering up for punk you know what i'm saying because every time they mention stuff like that they don't really like put it into an actual storyline. You know what I mean? It's not like we're going to have another match between Seidel and Punk anytime soon, right? So then what's the point of mentioning all that unless they're trying to cover up for him? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, the truth is what they said, you know, it is the truth. I mean, the guy did look tired. I'm sure he was tired. He looked pretty gassed out by the end of it, but I just feel like, I don't know if it's him that's demanding these type of matches and, and asking for this much time, or it's just Tony Khan, you know, giving him that time. But if I was him, I'd scale it back a little bit, make him beat a few jobbers. And when I say jobbers, yes, Seidel's borderline jobber at this point, but make him beat someone like a Fuego or someone along those lines, make him look really good. You know what I'm saying? Instead of having to battle his way all the time. I do feel like this is kind of the story that they're telling with punk. And I don't know how tired he necessarily is, or he isn't, you know what I mean? He is trying to get all that ring rust off. Punk does still feel like a step too slow to me on like just about everything. Like, and I think that's 
kind of logical. I, that makes sense. It's kind of going to happen when you're not in the ring for seven years. But I do think that he's progressing rather well. The 14 minutes didn't bother me. Not as much as this next match, right? You end up with the Ruby Soho versus the Bunny, and this match goes 10 minutes. And that this this match felt like it should have went about three minutes. Can I mention that it felt like 20 minutes? Yeah. I mean... And, and, and again, it almost feels like we're, we're giving our women's matches as much time as you gave for women's matches. Like, it, it almost feels like a statement at this point. The problem is the AEW women's roster just is not built to go out there and have, you know, 12, 14, 15 minute matches at this point. Not with these women anyway. No, no. Chris, what did you think so of Ruby Soho and the bunny? Well, okay. Um, Ruby's actually pretty impressive. Um, she did a really good job of selling, particularly in this match. Um, so much so that it was, it, it was a little bit of like, it took me out of it a little bit because the bunny is not very good in the ring. She, she is a really, really interesting character when they give her time and, and focus. Um, but I, Man, as a wrestler, she is a step off, maybe two steps off. And um, Ruby did such a good job selling for her tonight that it was like, okay, this is almost like you're having a match with a blow-up doll at this point. Like, I can I can see through this, even though you're selling really well. So for me, it was, it, you know, I was impressed with Ruby Soho, but not this match. And in terms of what were they doing, well, it's definitely AEW going well, look, we, we can focus on our women, but I mean, the problem, like you said, is, you know, in WWE, they're giving three minutes to, you know, really good professional wrestlers who are solid and know what to do and could do a 10-minute match and make it really entertaining. And in AEW, they're giving 14 minutes to women who should be given three minutes on the pre-show. So, Jimmy T, what is going on with Allie? Because I always really, really enjoyed Allie's work when she was in Impact Wrestling. I love Allie and Rosemary together as a team. But ever since the whole AEW, the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny, like, I don't get it. Like, something just doesn't seem there with Allie that always felt like it was there in Impact. I'll tell you what happened to Ellie. She's become the bunny. That's what's happened to Ellie. Since she's become the bunny and since she's been in AEW, I just, I don't dig her whatsoever, man. She comes across as awkward to me in the ring. I don't like the way she sells. She I don't seems like so the way stiff. She, yeah, just, she just, she, she's gone backwards, dude. She was much better in, in impact wrestling by a mile. Like, I mean, it's not even comparable. It's two different women in my opinion, but man, I don't even know why she's even getting match after match lately either. I mean, I'm sorry. I hate to say that because she's a lot better than, you know, they make a lookout, you know, they make a lookout to be, but, but unfortunately it's just not clicking. And this bunny uh, blade and butcher thing, I think they need to just end it, man. I know Williams is injured, but. At least, at least tell me what in the hell's going on. Like, okay, you have the butcher and you have the blade and you have the bunny. And I, why? Like, what, why aren't they just like using their names and showing up to work dressed as normal people? Like, why, <laughs> why are they the butcher, the blade and the bunny? Like what, what, what kind of crazy house of a thousand corpses shit you got going on here? Like what, what, what right, is this? Right. Like what's going on? And show us something. I, I feel like I have no context for these three characters and they've been around for two years at this point. It's true, man. You said it. I mean, Hey, show us something. They like to show us things about other wrestlers that, that is that's irrelevant i mean why not show us something here why are they the butcher the blade the bunny are they axe murderers what the fuck are they right like give me like you know a, a four minute version of house of a thousand corpses that like scares my absolute freaking pants off and then go out there and have a six minute match that's a much better use of 10 minutes than having these two women go out there and go for 10 minutes absolutely agree 100 percent. and then we had to get Penelope Ford just to like shit all over the match anyway. That was already shat on. Let's be honest. Now we're going to move on to a Ruby Soho match against Penelope Ford. I mean, come on. I, I Chris, I literally wrote in my notes, 
that Ruby Soho has no friends. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is one of those things in professional wrestling in general that every fan watches sometimes and just rolls their eyes at, right? Like, Oh, you've got a whole locker room full of people back there who are supposed to be the good guys. Where's Ty Conti? Didn't I see Ty Conti earlier? Doesn't, isn't she friends with Anna Jay? Aren't they all like, aren't they all good guys? You know, like, is, does the locker room not show up when they don't have matches? And if they only show up when they have matches, then the good guys who had matches on this card should have come out and helped her when she was getting knocked around by somebody with brass knucks. It's not like we've established Ruby Soho as this like, you know, anti-figure kind of like, oh, don't I'm not friends with anybody Stone Cold Steve Austin character where you can, you know, if somebody takes his chair to Stone Cold, you're like, well, Stone Cold's a fucking asshole to everybody. Like, you know, don't trust anybody. Nobody trusts him. Why the fuck would anybody come out here, right? At least there's the logic there. But when you've got this like, you know, hey, I come out to a rancid song and i'm i'm just happy to be here and hi everybody you know when you've got that kind of character and then the good guys just let her get her ass kicked. it's like all right the people in the locker room are the worst people in the world all, <laughs> all awful, the baby faces people. look bad right like ruby looks bad for not having any friends and all the rest of the baby faces look bad for not wanting to be ruby's friend like it's one of the worst things in pro wrestling watching baby faces just get beat down in the middle of the ring and nobody does anything about it like the referees didn't even try to stop this it's just absolutely baffling i i i don't get that uh, we also bringing up Tay Conti and uh, Penelope Ford again. So the Dark Order, I, what is going on with the Dark Order? Like, are, are they're happy that Hangman Page is back, and now they're challenging the Super Click to a match? And I, I mean, I'm sure this match is this match happening on Dynamite? Is it next week on Rampage? Is it at Full Gear? I, what? Yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> I don't have a clue. And, and did uh, Penelope Ford come out during the Ty Conti match, was it? No, it, or Penelope Ford came out during the alley and... Oh, sorry, I mean Penelope Ford. Yeah, did she come out between the alley and Ruby Soho match or Ty Conti match, sorry? It was after the uh, alley and Ruby match. All right, cool, cool. Because I thought for a minute I stuffed up like... I'm thinking, oh, shit, was it earlier? But it wasn't. Well, yeah, I mean, what are we having? What's going on? <laughs> I don't think they even have a clue what's going on. Like I said, this card, in many ways, was very uh, all over the place, shall I say. Like, shit didn't really make sense. But this is typical AEW style of booking sometimes, you know what I mean? It is what it is. They don't need to tell you a story if they don't even know what the fuck's going on. That's the thing that's so weird about this show. And I feel this way about dynamite a lot too. When I look at like the individual segments on the show, Chris, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And if, if you have so many segments that don't make any sense, how could it be a good show? Yeah. But yet I enjoy myself like just sitting down to watch the show for an hour. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like it was a bad show, but I don't feel like any of these segments were good. Yeah. So, you know, it's not an episodic show basically is what it is. You've got, you've got a two hour thing. Like this is especially with dynamite, but also on rampage where you've got, you know, uh, you've got spot a, right. And then you've got, okay, that's over. That's got an end. And then you go to spot B and then that's over and that's got an end. And then you've got spot C and then that's over and that's got an end. It, it, there, there's no, there is nothing that's interwoven between the episodes, right? I mean, one of the things that drove me nuts as a fan, like during the Attitude Era, was I would see Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, 40 minutes out of a two-hour show. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, just show me somebody else already. But at least there was something interwoven in the episode, right? Where you knew that they were going to, they had a story that they were trying to tell. And while there was all this other stuff going on, they're still trying to get to the main story. They're still showing you something that you need to watch so that you can follow along so that you feel like, okay, me watching this has gotten me from point A to point B in the overall storyline of the WWF. 
right? Well, in AEW, it's very much not like that. It's here's a section that was cool. Here's a section that was cool. Here's a section that was bad. Here's a section that was cool. That's that's and that's been my problem with AEW is that it's so bipolar and it just it'll give you something that's like really, really great. And then it gives you something that's just awful and they have nothing to do with each other either. So you're just left going, well, okay, five minutes ago, I felt really good. And now I just I'm depressed because this was awful and I wasted 10 minutes of my life. So, Jimmy, I feel like that this is a rip on Western pro wrestling in general at this point. I even the WWE at this point feels like Saturday Night Live, where it's just segment, 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 and nothing has anything to do with one another. It's like everything just exists in its own little universe. It's very Saturday Night Live as opposed to, you know, back when, you know, we had the WCW storyline with Sting and the NWO. It would go through the entire two hours of the show. McMahon and Austin would go the entire two hours throughout the show. Now, if two talents even walk past each other in the hallway and acknowledge each other, it's weird. Well, that's the thing. Is it is it because no one has patience anymore or is it because, you know... It's because they they're not a writing clue. a TV show. They're right, just they're right. they're just writing in and especially in the WWE where you have 27 writers, everybody's writing their own part of the show, so there's no continuity throughout the show. Nothing makes any sense when you look at the show. AEW, it's just there's a much smaller writing team, but it's all the talents kind of coming up with whatever they want to do and none of it flows together. And that's the problem because with AEW, this could be fixed really easily to the point where the show would be great week in, week out, right? All it, all it needs is just a, a little bit of like a continuality like we shit and just explain a few things to fans that might not have a clue with why this person's this and why that person's that. Just a little, the little things. And I'm telling you, if they get that shit right, the show is would be brilliant week in week out. Whereas WWE, on the other hand, they need a whole overhaul over there. You know what I mean? In my opinion, where nothing will ever be right unless the man himself, the old man, fucking just allows shit to be. You know what I mean? And not having to write for him like everybody says they do, right? And that's the whole problem over there. But man, apparently TK is the one that does this shit on his own. He claims that now the the EVPs don't have a say, really. I don't know if I buy that or not, but that's what he says. If that's true, maybe he needs to hire a wrestling guy just to help him out a little bit. And when I say a wrestling guy, I'm talking about like a – hear me out. Like a, even an Arn Anderson to, to like do things with him. And I'm sure – I hope they do, right? Get some of the older guys in the back to work with him on how to like push it together properly. It's just the little things, man. Get that shit right. And I'm telling you, we're going to have a brilliant show week in, week out, because I feel AEW is this close to getting it right. I, I think AEW would be very well off to go back and watch a lot of the AWA from the early 80s, take 90 seconds out of every one of your matches, and give it to promo time for all those talents. Just 90 seconds. That's all you got. That's all it takes. 90 seconds. Right. Not 15 freaking minutes, 90 seconds. That's all you need. Absolutely. Let's talk about your main event of the evening, guys. I was really curious how this was going to go. I was really curious if American Top Team was going to be treated as baby faces in Miami. Like, because the Miami might be the only city in the United States where I thought American top team might get treated as baby faces, especially with Masvidal coming out with them, who was from Miami, right? Like, it's not very often that you boo the hometown guy. I mean, Money in the Bank 2011 CM Punk is the biggest douchebag in the world. He was a baby face in Chicago and John Cena was the heel, right? So... Inner Circle comes out, everybody sings along with Jericho's song, and I'm like, okay, that's that's pretty good reaction. Like, they're into the Inner Circle. That's cool. American Top Team comes out, and they get booed out of the freaking building. I was floored. And Dan Lambert grabs the mic and tells them all to shut up, you, unworth, you worthless, ungrateful shitheads. Like, 
this was great. I was not expecting a whole lot from this match. I was not expecting a whole lot from this creative program. I thought this was great, at least until Junior DeSantos got into the ring, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Chris, what did you think of the setup for Inner Circle versus American Top Team? Um, I liked it. One thing that I will say, like I, I, I'm always happy when the heels get booed and the faces get cheered in professional wrestling. Um, you know, unless it's just become obnoxious, right? At a certain point, you have to boo John Cena because it's like, come on, man, like just get some new fucking material and stop with the fruity pebbles, uh-huh. right? But you know, but in general, I like that the good guys get cheered and the bad guys get booed. I don't know if this is actually good long term. But one thing that I will say is that AEW crowds are AEW crowds. That's it. There is nothing. They were in Philadelphia, and we talked about this last week. They were in Philadelphia and didn't get a single "you fucked up" chant. They, you know, they were, and they were in Miami. You know, the home of Jorge Masvidal. Who, I mean, if they put a UFC card in Miami right now, that guy would get a god's reaction. Mega that baby be, face. That would be the returning savior from the grave. Yeah. So to me, it's like, I don't know if it's good thing or bad thing, but I will say that an AEW crowd is an AEW crowd. It seems like you've taken the same 10,000 people who were in Philly and you just popped them in the arena in Miami. They all react exactly the same way. And I don't know that that's good or bad, but it's just something that I'm observing as, you know, as this show is getting longer and longer. Jimmy T, you know, it's amazing. It's almost like, If you just book matches and you give those matches finishes and you don't shit down your fans' throats for 20 years, the fans will play along with whatever it is that you want to do. Who knew? (laughs) It's as simple as that, right? Because that's what it is, man. They're just playing along out of respect that you're supposed to boo the heels, jeer the baby faces. And that's what we're getting with this AEW fan base. Except for Cody. Except for Cody. Cody. Because fuck Cody, he owes me money. (laughs) Yeah, fuck Cody, exactly. And and that was bound to happen to him. But that's for another day, another show. But in saying that, look, man, like like Chris said, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Because like Chris said, it very much is an AEW crowd no matter what city they're in. You know what I mean? And It's incredible. That's cool. It's incredible. It's a... I don't know if it's brainwashed or what the hell it is, but uh, I mean, look, if, if everyone's having fun and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'm all for it, man. Whether it's a positive or a negative, I mean, different, you know what I mean? Because I don't think it affects the bigger picture, but this crowd is something else. And as far as Jorge Masvidal goes, damn, dude, I was expecting a big like pop for him. You know what I'm saying? But, and, and, but we didn't get that. And, but that's good. That's what we're supposed to get. We're supposed to get, them getting booed out the friggin' building, man. I mean, especially when Masvidal gets in the ring to go after Jericho, I thought for sure that crowd would pop for Masvidal. Nope. Booed out the building. It's, it's unbelievable, dude. And can I just bring up Junior DeSantos? Yeah. <laughs> you asked me who's got a better oh my God. worked punch. Uh, is it uh, Shane is McMahon it or Shane? Junior DeSantos? I hate to say it, but, man, I think Junior is even worse, dude. I thought he would have been much better than that, bro. Let's be honest. I'm Well, I mean, we see this so consistently where guys who throw real punches have a really hard time throwing worked punches. And I maybe it's just that at this point we're kind of trained to watch for it, but... Man, Chris, they were not good. I mean, the body slams look good. Like, I'll, I'll give him that. But the punches, not good. Yeah, they were awful. He needs to be watching some Scott Hall matches to get a, a, an understanding <laughs> of how to throw a worked punch. Um, well, in yeah, his it's defense, definitely all right. a thing at this point. Where, in his defense, you know, it, not everybody is freaking Scott Hall when it comes to a working punch. I mean. Or Bret Hart, for that matter. <laughs> right. No, that's. If but that's I mean, the standard, a lot of people suck. So yeah, Scott Hall, Bret Hart. I mean, these are guys who make it look real. <laughs> we seem we seem like we've got a little bit of a delay between ourselves and Chris, and that's all right because it's the first time going live here, you know. So you know, technical difficulties are expected to happen. Um, I will say this: I love the men of the year. 
I freaking love it. Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, absolute money. I, I am to the point, guys, when it comes time for the Lucha Bros to drop those titles, that's who I want. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. They are just, I think they're absolute money together. Jimmy T, what do you think of the men of the year? I hate to say it, man, but these motherfuckers have grown on me. They're so good. <laughs> I like them. They're great, man. And you know what? At first, I was always one of those guys that said, I don't think these two can work together at first. But boy, am I wrong. And I'm glad I'm wrong because these two are just, even with the whole American top team thing, it's all gelling so well, man. I think they all fit together perfectly. Scorpio Sky and uh, Ethan Page complement each other well. I love the way Ethan Page comes out like a douchebag version of Alex Wright, the way he's dancing. Like, it, it kind of pops me now. Like, the more I see it, the more I laugh because it's that fucking good. You know what I mean? I mean, these guys are great, man, and I think they deserve a run with the tag belts. Why not? I hope they are the next two guys to be facing the Lucha Brothers. I think at some point they are going to get over so big as heels that they're going to have to turn on Dan Lambert and be like Ugh. the biggest baby face tag team in AEW. Like I like SCU, like where they're insulting the fans and it catches on. Like I, I can absolutely see that that's where the men of the year is, is going to end up going. Those guys are just absolute freaking money. Love it. Chris, are you still with us? We lost your picture. Yeah, I'm still with. I'm just trying to see if it, if it'll catch up now that I don't have my video playing because sometimes that like that can screw up the sort of speed that it's coming in with. So I'm not sure how quick I'm coming back to you right now, but hopefully it's a little bit better. Hey, it's all good, man. It's all good. Um, as far as the inner circle side of this thing goes, I did think it was very significant to see Scorpio Sky be the guy to get the pinfall on Chris Jericho uh, as we continue to elevate Scorpio. Chris, what do you think? Scorpio Sky, Sammy Guevara, is that going to be the next big feud for the TNT title? Um, I'd be down for it. Um, I, I think that Scorpio Sky is one of these guys who um, – you think of him as being younger than he is because, you know, you just haven't seen him do a lot in, you know, the quote unquote major leagues of professional wrestling, but he is really, really good at professional wrestling. Um, I'd love to see him uh, feud with Sammy Guevara. And um, in terms of Sammy, I just want to say, you know, watching this match back, um, he's got to slow down a little bit. He, he He's definitely rushing himself. There was a few moments in this match where he was like tripping over Chris Jericho in the, in the corner while they were trying to do setup moves. And you could see Chris talking to him even a little bit. And I think he was probably saying, Hey, slow down. I mean, that's one of the things like Jimmy, you talked about how like, Oh, it would be good if there was a wrestling guy who could talk to TK. They've got that. JR has said, these guys need to follow the tag rules. Chris Jericho has come out and said these guys need to sell better. Arn Anderson, I am, I have the fuck down. And I'm gonna take out my fucking gun and splatter your brains mm -hmm. all over the pavement. But like, you know what I mean? Like, they they've got guys. They they're just not listening to them. Like, because I've said the same thing. They need somebody there to take TK to the side and be like, right. Hey bro, why don't we like slow down with this thing? Or like, you know, you know, we, we had this great debut from sting, right. And it was this dark moment and it looked great. And it brought people back to the nineties with sting next week. Let's not have him come out and glad hand with Tony fucking Shivani right away. Let's not do that. Let's keep a little mystique for a few weeks. And yeah, you could do that. You could hire a Bin Hameen even, you know, to come in there and be the wrestling voice. But the thing is, is TK isn't going to listen to him because he doesn't listen to JR. He doesn't listen to Chris Jericho. He doesn't listen to Arn Anderson. He just isn't listening. Bin Hameen to be the executive vice president of what the fuck. Rick and I have been pushing for that for at least a year now. The EVP at WTF. Jimmy, you, you know who I think Sammy Guevara needs in his life? Is Will Ospreay. <laughs> Sammy reminds me a lot of Will Ospreay about five, six years ago, where we were like, Will, you need to slow the fuck down. You're going to hurt yourself. And then Will hurt himself, and then Will slowed the fuck down. And Will is so much better now since he did. He, that was <laughs> perfectly put, man, because I was just saying, like, 
as you were explaining that, the Will Ospreay of like five years ago, definitely, 100%. And yeah, he does. I think the thing with Sammy, man, he gets overexcited, dude. You can just see it in his face. Kind of gets way overexcited. And he's just going with the adrenaline of how he's feeling, you know what I mean? But all he has to do is just calm the fuck down a little bit, chill, chill out, you know, do one sh- you know, one move at a time. Stop fucking just doing it for the hell of it. But I understand why he's like that. I think part of the problem is Sammy has no idea how to be a babyface. Right? Like when Sammy's a heel, in between all those big moves, he can stop, he can pose, he can taunt the crowd, he can get that interaction. But as a babyface. It just doesn't work. And he's just go, 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 go. Like, I, I really believe, like, I know Sammy Guevara. He's got all that flashy offense and people want to cheer him. I really think he's so much better as a heel, especially at this point in his career. I agree. The only thing is, I think the fans want to cheer him now, though, Jago. I think the fans really do want to cheer him and get behind him. And I think that's what's sort of... uh made him change his ways a little bit and i get it i think the kid's got it right he understands shit all he has to do is just slow down take it easy be more methodical with his move set and not having to break his neck one day you know what i'm saying i mean just ask will osprey for example right so i think the kid gets it he knows but at the same time like you said jago he just doesn't know how to be a baby face yet he, he kind of gets it in his promo work, but when it comes to ring psychology and how to react and how to act, he doesn't get it at all. I'm sure in time, though, that will be rectified, no doubt. Chris, any thoughts on Sammy Guevara? Yeah, I mean, the guy's got to slow down. He's got to learn how to sell. I mean, that's that's the number one thing that a baby face needs to know how to do is get sympathy from the crowd. And I mean, I said this a couple of weeks ago, you know, to Jimmy. I said, like, you know, that whole, like, kip up and then the arms to the side thing where you're being the Spanish god, that works so well as a, a heel. Like, it's great. That's great work as a heel. But when you're a baby face, nobody wants to see you showing off like that. That's not what we want out of our heroes, right? The whole hero's journey is attempt something, fail, try harder, come back and succeed. That's the hero's journey. You have to fail. So you have to sell in pro wrestling if you're going to be a face. You have to make it look like you know, you had to really pull this one out of the fire in order to get this win. Otherwise, what are you with you? I like Sammy a lot. I think he's got a ton of potential. But if he's going to be a face, he's got to learn how to sell. Even when he's on the offense, you can sell, right? Because you can throw a strike. And rather than throwing 16 more strikes right away, you can throw a strike and you can take a breath, throw a strike and take a breath, right? You're struggling. You're trying hard. You're doing something that's difficult. And that way the audience can become you, right? And that's why I've always said Batman is a way better face than Superman because people can connect with that. You see him struggling. You see him bruised. You see him getting his ass kicked. That's what audiences can connect with. But if you're coming out there and doing 16 AAs to everybody, as soon as they come at you, the the audience turns on you. And so that's what I would say to Sammy Guevara is if you're going to learn anything as a baby face, learn how to sell. So while it seems everything is set up for Scorpio Sky to take on Sammy Guevara for the TNT championship, now we got the dead presidents involved again. LAX, Proud and Powerful, Inner Circle, whatever the hell you want to call them. Um, I like the Dead Presidents. I I still think that's what they should have been called. Uh, Santana and Ortiz come out at the end of this matchup. I'm totally down for the men of the year versus Santana and Ortiz. Like, sign me up for that. But doesn't that kind of get in the way? Or Jimmy T, does this all work because of the Inner Circle American Top Team thing? What do you think is going on here? Well, it's clearly because of the American Top Team Inner Circle thing, but what's the implications of this match? Well, the problem yeah. is nobody can take a loss here. Like, That's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, I guess you could have Ethan Page eat the pin, but I hate to do that even at this point with Men of the Year. 
Yeah, it just uh, look. I get it. It makes sense why it's happening. Is it good? No, because first of all, I want the dead presidents, LAX, whatever you want to call them. I want them to get their come up and do the tag title shot, man, and win. Not this shit. Because where, where do we go with the Lucha Brothers? Even well, okay, yeah. but but. I, I'm all for proud and powerful taking the titles from the Lucha Bros. Okay, like I, I, I'm totally down with that, but I feel like that doesn't happen until like double or nothing at best. Right. Yeah, like the, the right. Lucha Bros just got those belts. Yeah, but what are they doing with those belts, really? Well, I guess we'll find out tomorrow night on Rampage and whatever's going on with Andrade and and if they're going to, like, you know, join Los Ingobernables. That's another 50 bucks, Cody. If that's what's <laughs> going on or if they're going to stick with the bastard or what the I, – I, I, the, the Lucha Bros, while they have the titles right now, feel as directionless as they have over the last two years in AEW. 100% agree with you, man. I mean, I know they were in AAA this past week, I think, defending their, their AAA belts, whatever they had. Um, but other than that, I mean, they're like like we say here in Australia, they, they come across as headless chooks. Headless? Right. Headless what? <laughs> headless chooks. chooks. In other words, head, chooks. Chooks. What? chooks. What, how the fuck do you spell that? C-H-O-U-U-C-K-S or what? <laughs> Excuse me, C H O K S, chooks, chooks, right? So in other words, headless chickens, Jago. Headless, headless chickens. chickens. Why don't you yes. just call them headless chickens? <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you, Aussie <laughs> bastards? <laughs> don't make me laugh because when I laugh, I start coughing, and when I cough right now, it ain't good. If you can hear it, but the well, dude, just do whatever they want, man. That's it. I mean, that's what they're fucking seriously like. What are they running around headless? Look seriously. Yeah, I, Chris. I don't know if you've heard my pitch, but what needs to happen is the the Lucha Bros need to turn heel. They need to join Andrade El Idolo and get rid of the Death Triangle and you know put together you know Triangulo de la Murta because it sounds so much freaking cooler than Death Triangle. Yeah, I'm down for that. I'm down for pretty much anything they might want to do with these guys, um, other than like you said, just circling around and like they're just waiting to land or something like that. And right now, it's like the whole tag team division is doing this, they're just in a circling pat pattern, waiting for you know space to land. This is like the uh -huh. Southwest Airlines right now, just just waiting to do something. Like, are you guys gonna go anywhere? Is anybody? What the hell's going on? Why are we still in the air? We're just we're just doing flips and shit for the hell of it <laughs> and it's the same thing with like you said you've got you've got the dead presidents or lax or whatever you want to call them right they're one of the best tag teams in the world you've got ftr over here they're one of the best tag teams in the world you've got the lucha brothers they're hugely entertaining athletic monsters and no one's doing anything they're just circling around each other like yeah this the, the, and everybody talks about AEW has such a great tag team division no they don't they have a great tag team roster but to have a great division, they have to actually have storylines and something to do. Right now, they're just circling each other going, uh, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> on that funny. note, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up the show. Let's go, Brandon. Go AEW. <laughs> I, got, I still don't know if this was a good show or not. I really don't. At this, After like talking through all the individual segments, I don't know if this was a good show or not. I guess uh, you, you can get at us at not Jargo at DJ mass effects at Chris Ams one. Is that right? Question mark. Yes, sir. Hey, I got it right. And of course we will be back here next week at Hameen media group. Um, if you guys enjoy the live broadcast, let us know. Otherwise, you know, we, we probably won't go live because it's a real pain in the ass guys. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? I just want to say, first of all, I love what Chris said about the tag division. That is so perfectly put. So, Chris, kudos for that one. But most impo most importantly, check us out right here on HMG, man. Chris, any final words? 
Uh, just apologize to the listeners for uh, for whatever's going on with my internet today. I'm trying to do it off of my laptop. Maybe I'll try to go back off of my cell phone. That seemed to work better the last time, although the audio seemed to be skipping a tiny little bit on my phone. So I don't know. I'll figure it out, guys. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully the show was enjoyable anyway. So, yeah, sorry. But, uh, you know, of course, the Canadian guy's ending with sorries, right? Fuck. Damn Canadians. Blame Canada, Hameen Media. Blame Canada. We'll talk to you next week back here. Channelattitude.com, Hameen Media Group, Rampage, Uncaged. See you next time.